So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What's up, guys? Dr. Danny here with the Active Atlanta podcast, and we got my good friend who I just found out how to officially pronounce his last name, Sam. Dude, I'm going to mess it up again. You're going to mess it up again. I've been saying Mugavero forever. Please correct me on this sucker. Mugavero. Mugavero, like MacGyver, kind of. Yeah, I've never heard that before in 39 years of living. Well, now that's how everyone is going to remember this because we do these in one (laughs) take, so I'm definitely not starting it all over again. Mugavero. Dude, that's... A Sicilian, awesome last name. I've been calling you the wrong last name for years, and now we know. But you got one of the best gyms in the city of Atlanta, which is one of the reasons why we're talking to you today. Uh, somebody that I can sit down and talk shop with about training for literally hours. So this is going to be a very simple, straightforward, 30 to 45-minute conversation where we get a chance to dig into what I think is your very simple but effective uh, approach to strength and conditioning and your background, which is, I think is very, very unique. So let's start with this, man. Uh, I want to I kind of read what you guys stand for just in one sentence. It's, very, it's on your website. This is it. it says, Smugs Fitness believes in the power of well-being, well-being to change mindsets, alter physical chemistry and perceptions, and ultimately improve our lives. And I think that is like spot on. Now, let's start with this. You have, like I said, a very interesting background. You have a PhD in chemistry. You swing heavy cannonballs around. How did you go from hey, I'm going to get a chemistry PhD to I'm going to own a gym. Like, what was that transition like? I'm sure it's a, a lengthy but interesting story. Yeah, it's, it's lengthy and interesting. But the bottom line is when I was in grad school um, for chemistry, I started doing a little bit of personal training on the side, mm. just training friends mostly, lab mates, that kind of stuff. And I don't know if you're familiar with chemistry or the folks who typically go into it. They're not exactly what we might call athletes. Right. So, you know, a little bit of an anomaly there. Um, so I played two sports in college and just never really got out of shape. And then when I started training friends and lab mates in college, I realized this was something that I could really get into and enjoy as kind of a side hustle, but still stick with the chemistry. Um, so I got into academia for a few years. Um, I taught high school chemistry. I taught a little bit of college chemistry. And while I was there, um, started a wellness program at the school where I was working, and that wellness program is still going 12 years later today. Um, through that time, I realized that uh, kind of waking up early and moonlighting and doing my early mornings and late evenings as a uh, coach would have to change once we had kids. Yeah. And uh, well, so we had a kid, and I stopped teaching and opened a fitness business officially in 2013. Um, But I had started Smugs back in 2011. So since 2013, I've been full time in the fitness business. And so it's just been kind of a natural progression to get where we are now. 
you know, I went three years training people in a garage. I had a business partner and owned two gyms north of the city. Then we had kid number two and driving an hour and a half north of the city every day just wasn't working. So we opened up our current location in uh, 2016 in Kirkwood. Yeah. Yeah. And if you drive by it, you wouldn't even know. Like it's, it's a, right. you know, it's, it's a small gym. Uh, and, but I appreciate that, you know, and, and uh, when you go in, uh, and this is the, you know, what, what I was used to training in kind of coming out of the military and, and in Hawaii in particular, in particular, you know, a little garage gym where people are like really doing beneficial things and there's coaching occurring. I think that's like the biggest um, determining factor. Whenever I look at a gym, I'm like, man, how much are, am I learning or anybody we send there, how much are they going to learn? And I think what you guys do a really solid job of is teaching movement patterns effectively. So uh, and you and you give a, a, a very um, strong background in terms of the you know sort of strong first approach. So uh, if you can give us a little background on strong first, like and 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 why why is that the methodology that you know you've sort of uh, gravitated towards so much? So strong first, um, I first got interested in it about 2011 or 2012, really when I had started into fitness as a career, a uh, full time career. And the methodology, even, you know, RKC Strong First, really similar heart style methods. Um, I gravitated to Strong First officially in like 2014 and became an instructor. And since then, um, I, I'm currently a SFG2 um, and all 10 of our staff is SFG as well. So the methodology is sound and I always look for kind of that minimal, minimal effective dose and how can we most efficiently get someone healthy? Mm. How can we get them, keep them safe? Um, how can we teach them tools they can use on their own. And the strong first methodology really, um, it, you know, crosses over anywhere you go. Um, if you're an athlete, you can use the methodology to get better at your sport. If you're a general population, which is most of what we train, we can give people just a few simple tools with a kettlebell and a few simple exercises and then get really fit really fast and stay safe. And so if you can transfer that over kind of into the barbell, um, if you started looking into plan strong programs and some of the, the, the strong first lifter certs, um, I mean, it's, it's really effective. We, we get people lifting in that kind of 80 percent ish range most of the time and it keeps them healthy and strong and lifting those rep ranges and, and that, um, and those weight ranges, you, you just get strong really, really fast and really yeah. safely. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and you can, you can train every day. You don't have to, but I, you know, I press six days a week back when I used to train other methodologies, I could press maybe once a week and I'd be coming in to see you for a shoulder. Right. Yeah. So it's, now, six days a week, I'm pressing, you know, 32 to 44 kilograms regularly with one arm, no yeah. pain. Yeah. And that's just, it's amazing. Like, I'm, I'm impressed with the programming personally, you know, yeah. people, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, the variable you're talking about probably more than anything is this intensity. Right. And, you know, I, I was, in fact, I was talking to a client today that's coming off a back injury and uh, we, were, we were going over some rowing technique that was part of the reason why, you know, he, he hurt his back. And uh, the, the, the idea of manipulation of intensity, I think people, they, they associate feeling like they're going to puke with like benefit, right? And there's, a, there's definitely a place for, you know, certain types of exercises that are very high intensity. But what I tend to see, I think what you're alluding to is when the only variable you're really um, constantly pushing to the limits is intensity, it can lead to a lot of negative uh, actually training effects uh, as well. So for you to be able to, to press in the same pattern or similar patterns six days a week, at, at what point, are, if ever, are you training to actual failure and uh, redlining it? Very rarely. I'll, yeah. I'll test, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll program intentionally 
to then take a test week. And in the last maybe nine months of training in this manner with my press, I've tested twice. Right. Um, and in both cases, I got better. So that's yeah. great. Um, yeah. But training to failure is very, very rare. And so the, the way most of the public looks at intensity is like what you said, right? Training to failure, getting ready to puke, you know, high intensity, always out of breath, always winded. The way I kind of look at it at intensity is the percentage of my one rep max. So when I say 80%, that's what I mean. I'm at 80% of my one rep max for most of my lifts. Yeah. So even though I'm lifting, you know, I might, I might press uh, 150 reps per arm in a week, but majority of them are 80% and they're sets of two to four reps. Yeah. So I, I never f really feel sore. I'm never beat down. And, and this is what we use with our clients too. Um, even in our general classes now, we're able to put some of these plan strong programs into practice for groups, which is super cool. It takes a little bit of manipulation because they may only be coming in three days a week. Yeah. So I can't have somebody press six days a week or four days a week or whatever, but it's been working really well for them and keeping them safe and fresh too. So hmm. what, yeah. uh, what variables do you feel like are underappreciated within training conditioning and really getting people to a place where they're healthy, but also not limited to do the activities they like? I think the biggest two are volume and intensity, right? Most people look at intensity, in my opinion, not the most effective way. They look at it the way we discussed earlier. Um, and volume, I don't think anybody, the general population person going to the gym doesn't understand what volume is nor how to train it effectively. I mean, you can, you can totally blow yourself up with volume in a healthy way, and you can totally blow yourself up with volume in an unhealthy way if your intensity is too high. Yeah. Right. So you can get really strong using effective volume training methods, or you can just bury yourself because you're jacking the intensity up too high and still keeping the, the volume high. Right. right. So we want to have some variability with the two to keep yourself safe. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's do this. You guys love kettlebells. I love kettlebells. I think they're awesome. I got exposed to them when I was in the army. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember thinking this is, what are we doing swinging this thing around? You know, I thought this is so strange. And, uh, how, why is this so hard as well? Is <laughs> it's, it's kind of the first thing that I thought of whenever I got exposed to the swing for the first time. So what is it about the kettlebell that you guys like so much, you know, and, and, uh, utilize within your, your programming? I mean, top three things we like about the kettlebell is it's really, really efficient. That's one. It's a, it's a, it's a simple tool that people can take everywhere. Right. Um, and with just a few basic movements, you can build a really nice training program, hmm. um, which lines up really well. Like you said earlier, we have a very simple but effective way of getting people healthy and, and, and strong. It really lines up well with us. Um, and the, th the third thing we really like about the kettlebell is that center of mass is so different from anything else you'll encounter. And if you think about when you're playing a sport or, I mean, even, you know, pulling a bag of mulch out of your car on a Saturday, the center of mass of that mulch is going to be a little weird as you yank it out of your car, right? Mm -hmm. So if we can use a training tool that doesn't have a center of mass like anything else we use, it really prepares us for not just sport, but everyday life. And, you know, really the goal for most of the people we encounter is they just want to be healthy. They want to maybe lose a little weight, but that's oftentimes just a byproduct. They want to gain muscle and they want to do whatever it is they love as long as they can. Yeah. And for us, the kettlebell is just the most efficient way that we can get them where they want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the other cool part about it that, uh, that I really appreciate, like you said, is the mobility of the actual tool. Um, I mean, every time we go on vacation, we bring a kettlebell with us, at least one, Absolutely. you know, and, 
it's just such an easy thing to transfer, which is one of the reasons why the military uses them so much because they don't take up much space. They're cost efficient. They're very hard to mess up. You know, right. like you would, I, I don't, I, I've never broken a kettlebell. So I don't, I don't really know. I'd have to drop it from somewhere really high or flip it and it would, you know, crack or something, but um, it would be hard to do. Let's put it that way. And especially for somebody that's a busy parent, you know, I know you, you work with a lot of people that have kids. We, we work with a lot of people that have kids. This kid's central around where we're at, Decatur, Kirkwood, like tons of little people, tons of busy people. And it's a small put, footprint at your house. So, you know, for you right. guys, when you're working with folks, um, how many of them are training on their own in some capacity as long, uh, along with, you know, what you guys do with them? So our group class um, clients, some of them train on their own, but a lot of them will come a couple days a week and get their yeah. dose that way. Uh, most of our one-on-one or small group clients, they're training on their own. We'll see them, you know, once a week, twice a week, sometimes once every three or four weeks. And they're just, yeah. they're training on their own. We also do remote programming. Right. So we have a lot of clients that just, look to us for programming. They've got a kettlebell or, uh, you know, and pull up bar at home and they just go to town. Um, and we kind of work within the confines of what they have, but we will always recommend getting, you know, 16 kilogram kettlebell, a 24 and a 32, um, for most guys, uh, depending on their strength. And most of our women, you know, an eight, a 12 and a 16 is a great way to get them started. But most of our women are swinging, you know, 24s and 32s anyway. So once they get training, they get strong very fast. Yeah. Yeah. What movements do you feel like more people should, uh, uh, should be doing it as a whole. If you say, all right, we'll we let Sam take over for the day and he's a director of active people in the world. What, what do you have them do? <laughs> I mean, everybody's learning the get up, right? Yeah. Day one, right? They're, they're learning the get up right away. Um, because think about it. If you can't get up and down off the floor, your life is essentially over at True. some point, right? Yeah. Like you, you have a fall and you can't get up. What are you going to do? Similarly, if you need help getting up, you've lost your independence. Someone has to come scoop you up out of bed or whatever. And now, barring any tragic you know, accident or traumatic injury or something like that, that's different. But if you are an able, healthy person, you can't get up and down off the floor, that's it. Your quality of life is pretty much over. So yeah. a lot of our, we, we train a, a pretty good portion of our clients are 55 and up. And we, we train everybody on the get up just to make sure that they can always do it right? You know, we, we just had a, a brand new client start with us who's 70 and her goal was to get up and down more comfortably so she can play with the grandkids. Yeah. Like, what do we do? The get up, right? So yeah. more people should be doing the get up, but you got to be doing it correctly. You know, yeah. and the get up, you know, the, the hard style get up that we use is a little bit different than some of the other get ups you see. But bottom line is it will look different depending on the mobility and, and the skill level of the person doing it. And we can train it while we'd love to get everybody using a kettlebell, you know, Sometimes we'll just put a, you know, a light slam ball in somebody's arms and have them get up. I mean, the bottom line is you learn that pattern, how to get up safely and efficiently. And then we can start adding in load with a kettlebell or a dumbbell or whatever else we want to use or, or a barbell if we really have an advanced person. You know, so get up. That's top, top priority is getting people up and down off the floor. Um, the swing, you know, everybody knows the kettlebell swing at this point if you've been, you know, paying attention in all the fitness world. But not enough people are doing them safely or well. Um, so getting everybody trained on a swing is a fantastic yeah. way to get people healthy and strong. And again, like, like we said earlier, it's so simple. If you have a kettlebell, right. you can do a get up and a swing and you've got a great program for a healthy life. It's, it's yeah. that simple, you yeah. know, and you know, simple and sinister, right? That, right. right from strong say, yeah. That's it. That's the first Pavel. Uh, so it's Tetsulin, right? Is that his yeah. last name? Tetsulin. Uh, who, I don't know, is he credited with bringing the kettlebell to the U S or is one of the first instructors? He's he's credited, I think, with uh, formalizing kettlebell training in okay. the U.S. Um, I yeah. I don't 
have any desire to get into who actually brought it. First. Yeah. You know, probably goes right? back. We don't need that. Well, there's probably but, a lot uh, of layers to that, but, uh, right. So anyway, uh, yeah, one of the more kind of well-known people in the, in the kettlebell uh, space, um, he had a program called Sin- Simple and Sinister. One of the, it's the first pro- kettlebell program I was ever exposed to, which was literally uh, swings and get-ups. I, I think that's all it is. Yeah, it's just, it. and it just sort of progresses from there. And, and uh, to, 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 to what Sam's talking about as well, we, uh, the, the get-up, and, you know, he and I can kind of understand what this is, but basically it's you being able to lay on your back roll over onto your side and then get up off of the ground while you hold a weight over your head is the goal eventually. And, you know, to, and, to and, point, and get back to the floor right? and get back down, right. And get back to the floor. Yep. And control uh, as right. well. And to, to your point, I totally agree. Like, could you imagine, you know, 70 years old, if she can even take this, even a, the smallest amount of weight overhead, the amount of right. mobility, single side, you know, side control, flexibility, um, right. and, and single leg strength in particular to be able to get, you know, up and down out of those positions, that is a very uh, important thing to do. Um, and they're really freaking hard. Like, I mean, when you do them, it's, it's, it's not necessarily, I think a lot of people, they're like, man, I want, I want abs and I want like big biceps for males. Right. And for women, usually they, they want to be toned and they, they, they want to be, you know, uh, a little bit, you know, leaner. And, but no one ever talks about like, what about these muscles we don't see directly in the mirror and how freaking important they are. And I feel like the program style that you guys have uh, and follow, it trains a ton of muscles that maybe you don't say when you look in the mirror, look how jacked I am. But while you're walking away, it's apparent that they are strong. Right. Which right. the, and, and really we're talking, you know, just posterior chain. And that's something that I definitely noticed a lot in other cultures when I was in the military uh, I had a chance to train with like the South Korean uh, uh, military, um, some, some people from the Japanese military and the Thai military, and they were very uh, biased towards your back. Like right. they, they gauge someone's athleticism and strength based on your back. And I had one guy shake my hand and grab my back. And uh, I was like, that was weird. And another guy was like, yeah, he's just feeling how strong you are. And um, I thought it was very strange, but they didn't care. They were like, you guys focus on everything in the mirror. And they focus on everything on the backside. So how important do you feel like training that posterior chain or the back is uh, in conjunction to obviously not forgetting about the other things, but not being as biased as we tend to be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I support that. I'm, I'm definitely posterior chain dominant in my training. Um, I, I would much rather have a big, strong back and big, strong glutes than, than you know, biceps and a chest, right? Yeah. Like, which ones are going to do more for me when I need them? Like a strong yeah. chest is not going to do nearly as much for me when, when I need it, mm. you know, if I have to climb up and grab something, it's, it's not necessarily those pecs doing the work. It's, it's a strong back, right? Yeah. The biceps come, if you train your back, you get biceps, you know, right. you train your back, you get shoulders, right? And you yeah. get a little bit of chest as you can train the back also. So, I mean, it's, I, I really find that training that posterior chain is far more effective um, for general population and for athletics in general. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just stronger humans. Sure. And useful as what I, I feel like, right. uh, you know, useful. I feel like the, the gauge should be how far can you throw your kid in a pool and, uh, right. and do you get hurt after doing it? You know, cause like, right. it's definitely some, I mean, I've seen people that have had shoulder injuries from literally throwing their kid in the pool and I'm like, how old is your kid? And they, you know, like four, like, dude, shouldn't happen. If you told me 12, we, we would have a different conversation about why are you throwing your 12 year old? Maybe that's a, that's a kind of a weird thing, but a four year old, you should be able to do that. Right. And it's function. Right. I think that's the biggest thing is like, there's function and there's appearance. Right. And, and, um, have you seen the, uh, the Ronnie Coleman documentary on Netflix? Not yet. It's on the list though. Oh my gosh, man. Like, so this is a perfect example of 
uh, function versus aesthetics, right? And, and, uh, and yeah, Ronnie Coleman, eight-time Mr. Olympia, like one of the you know, most winningest bodybuilders of all time and a legit powerlifter at that. Uh, you know, he's basically decrepit at this point. You know, he's right. in his fifties, he's on crutches, he's on his like 11th surgery. So we, we look at like, we don't really know at some of the long-term effects of some of this um, high volume, you know, high intensity training really is. And, and, and what I look at is like longevity, you know, and I think for, right. for you guys, that's the whole, it's a long game, right? I mean, you, you, right. you are catering to, Hey, how can you be doing this stuff when you're 80 and still be independent? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, what, you know, what are your two life goals for the end? Like, what do you want to be doing on your last day of life? Do you have any right. of those goals? So that's like the question, right? That's when I was asked that, right. I mean, that's, and that was a question that was asked to me by a strong person instructor. I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. He said, well, you know, what are your goals for the end of your life? And, uh, you know, one of mine is I want to shoot my age in golf before I die. Well, you know, my golf game right now, that means I'm going to have <laughs> right, like I'll be somewhere between like 82 and 88 before that happens. Seriously, uh, I'm thinking, I'm like, man, where's the sweet spot for that? <laughs> right, right, right. Or I'm gonna have to get really good at golf really fast. Yeah, right. So, right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only, I'm like halfway there in life right now. Yeah. So I've got, you know, another 40 years before I can even think about doing that. So I better stay yeah. in shape. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, you want to be able to get up and down and do everything you need to do on the toilet by yourself. Absolutely. Right. Like I want to do that the day I die. I can wipe my own ass the day I die, I know I have really good mobility because that's not an easy thing to do, right? That's, a, that's very true, man. I mean, one of the, one of the main reasons you would see people have to go to independent living uh, or, or assisted living is lack of being able to take care of themselves. And then your partner, your spouse, like they don't, you know, maybe they can't help you or right. they don't really want to do that all the time. And you right. lose your independence. And a lot of that's thoracic mobility. It's shoulder extension. You know, it's, it's hip internal rotation on the opposite side. Totally. Right. All that, I, right? I, I think that's an easy uh, litmus test of right. how functional you are right now. And uh, everybody, ha right. everybody has to do it. So, um, yeah, right. that's interesting. What, what's, some of the, what, what's some of the more interesting responses you've gotten from anybody? When you ask them this, is oh, it like, you know, it's interesting. Usually a lot of those answers revolve around their families. Like, totally. you know, I want, to be, I want to chase my grandkids around or great grandkids around or whatever. Yeah. Um, one of the guys who's a woodworker said he wants to die in his wood shop. So if he's still doing woodworking, like in a at, horrific you know, accident, I mean, well, it could be right. Yeah, but like let's like say my woodshop teacher was missing his finger. <laughs> right. I mean, there's so you know it really depends on the person. Uh, you know, the golf one. I've I've heard that a lot. You know, people want to yeah. shoot the rage before they die, but wow. most people aren't on that trajectory. You know, other people want to keep playing tennis until they day they, they yeah. die. I mean, you know, there's so many different answers, but the shop one was really interesting. The guy just wanted to be doing woodworking. 40, 50 years from now in yeah. his shop. And if he died in there, he'd be pretty happy. So that's, that's pretty cool. And, I, I, you know, I think that's amazing though. But I mean, for, and this is what, I, you know, what you guys do and, and just in our profession in general, what we get to do is help people live, you know, more fulfilled, active lives. And I think that like, oftentimes people think, oh, you know, we help people get stronger or whatever. Like there's like a very superficial uh, element to that. But I mean, how many people have you seen where it's like legitimately their life is different and they'll never look back from there. They're, they're literally like, I took the red pill. I can't unsee this. Like this is my life and it's so much better. You know, right. and I, I wish in some way that we could just, you know, share some of those most people cause we see it all the time. And then we, you know, it's, it's just, it's just such a cool thing to be a part of that. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, we, so we, again, we train a lot of folks that are 55 and up, right? So they're coming to that age where they're probably thinking about stopping working. They're going to have to fill their time with something and they can either fill it with, you know, pills and crossword puzzles, mm. or they can fill it with getting outside and being active and traveling and whatever it is they want to do. And yeah. so that's a, it's a really, you know, to, to see someone at nearing the, the golden years of their life, uh, kind of, taking control of it so that they can live longer and be more independent. We see that all the time. I mean, I, I have, everybody's got examples of it, but we have countless number of clients who have come in our door, unable to get up and down off the ground in their forties, fifties, sixties, or even seventies. And we're able to help them do that. That is a complete change in their quality of life. And, yeah. you know, with this, uh, the lady I mentioned earlier, you know, she came in seven years old, could get up and down, but it was hard. Now she's getting up and down with a six kilogram kettlebell and that's in five weeks. So oh. like we're making positive change. So five weeks, two to three days a week. Yeah. Right. And just drilling that get up, getting some single leg strength and just really helping her better understand how she moves. You know, she still plays tennis. She still plays golf. Well, she's doing a lot of that without a bunch of pain now too. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's amazing. You just get people moving safely and it translates right over, it transfers right over to whatever else they want to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that they're active too. I think there's, there's sort of two camps, people that hate going to the gym and people that like their hobby is going to the gym, right. you know? And, and, uh, I, I've always viewed, and, and if your hobby is exercising, cool. Like that's a great, like what a good hobby for you to have for the rest of your life, because it's going to, you know, keep you healthy. But I've always looked at it as what can I do here that helps me do the things outside of the gym, you know, that, that, that I like so much. And this is one of the reasons why I really um, bias towards the, the, the similar st style of training that, that you guys have because, you know, I want to keep it simple. I want to, you know, be able to do repeatable patterns that are going to help me with mobility and strength. Um, right. And I want to be strong side to side. And I think that's probably a huge variable that you guys see coming in that needs to be trained out. I mean, how, how many people do you see that are significantly stronger on their, you know, whatever, dominant side versus non-dominant side? Um, and, and even still, like, how long does that typically take for them to be able to resolve a lot of those differences? Uh, most of the people we interact with here uh, come in with one side significantly stronger than the other. Um, so with our training, um, you know, we have to sort of, we don't bias one side over the other uh, unless we really need to. You know, this is a huge difference, but every com everybody comes in for, you know, take a press, for example, super yeah. simple, right? Most people come in about four kilograms stronger on one side than the other. And kettlebell increments are four kilograms traditionally. We have a yeah. couple two kilogram increments as well. But, you know, we got to train that up. And, you know, consistently training the press will we'll even that out over time. Um, you know, building in the auxiliary work as well, right? You know, mm -hmm. you got you to gotta build in, you know, some posterior chain work, band pull-aparts, rows, all, you know, all that backside work um, to even it out. But, you know, over time, three, four months-ish, we can get most people evened out. They're still going to have a favorite side, right? Of course. You know, when they pick that kettlebell up, they're going to pick it up with whatever their dominant side is all the time. So we have to do a little education there and say, hey, no, you go pick that kettlebell up and walk it over here with that non-dominant arm every time. Yeah. You know, then you look at the legs, we see that. I'd, I'd say the leg discrepancy is, is significantly larger, hmm. right? And it's really easy to see, you know, which side is dominant. We'll just casually walk up behind somebody and give them a gentle nudge, see which foot they catch with. Chances are good. They're probably walking up the steps with that foot first. You know, it, it, you know, a lot of times it's their driving foot. So they're hitting the brake and the gas with that foot. And it's just, you know, they're using it more often. So it's more dominant. And, and I'm sure you see the same thing, of course, right? I, I kind of see the opposite. I see, well, I work with oh, okay. a lot of athletes, right? Um, so if they're right dominant, 
on the shoulder, their left leg tends to be much more stable. Um, now they might not be as stability standpoint, right? They may not be as coordinated. Their, their other foot is more coordinated, but, but their stability, uh, in the left leg. Um, and then under a barbell, this is where we see so many issues. Like we end up having to deal with a barbell. We're like, you're shifting like crazy to the, to the left. And you know, they have a, they have a, you know, right dominant kind of body side. But, but the thing is like symmetry is also this sort of thing that, um, you can make a strong statement that, you know, there's no such thing as a hundred percent symmetry ever since we were little kids and we're like, right. Oh, I'm picking this ball up with this hand, you know, that you're, you, you've decided, cool, this is my dominant side. And, um, you know, I, I think that to get it close enough to where it doesn't create a problem is incredibly important, but, right. uh, you know, true, true symmetry. I'm not quite sure really, um, changes much versus, you know, just being like strong enough and controlled. And this is one of the reasons I like, you know, single leg, um, strength tests, single arm strength tests, and really see where those are at. Because for a lot of people, they don't even realize how, how weak they might be. Um, or even like, let's say like a mutual client of ours that maybe like has thrown a football a whole bunch of times. How can we expect his left shoulder to be as strong as something that he's used like thousands of reps more really can't, but can we narrow that gap? And I I think that that's really helpful, but it's funny that that you see that. And, and, uh, I noticed the same thing, man. You can almost see it. Like anytime somebody leads with a leg, um, you know, we'll, we'll start to see, okay, cool. Where's the problem at? And then we start strength testing. And, And oftentimes if their, if their left leg is strong, they're having a right knee problem because they're just shifting. They're, they're, they're trying to, right. uh, uh, you know, use that dominant side, but their body just can't, can't take it. And then we end up with a non-dominant side pain issue. So, um, right. anyway, no, I, I agree. I think it's fascinating when you start getting down the rabbit hole and, and for you guys, I know with your scientific approach, I'm sure you have like all kinds of data that you want to see where you're at objectively track it. And I, that's what I appreciate about you guys is a lot of it is right. objectively data driven, you know, changes. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that you came at it from a stability standpoint. You know, because yeah. because we, we, you know, that is true. I oftentimes will see somebody with much better balance and stability on their non-dominant leg, yep. right? But then when it comes to pure strength, the right side's stronger. Yeah, right? the, the dominant side's stronger, right? right? So it's so you came at it from stability. I came at it from more of like a pure strength side. Yep. And, and you you definitely see those those differences from side to side, specifically in the legs. The non-dominant's always more stable. Yeah. In those cases, but yeah. it might not be strong. It, the, the sport history is interesting too. I always like, uh, I always tell people, yeah, I played baseball growing up and I was like, listen, man, it might be one of the worst sports for you long-term. I, I'm like, we do nothing but just develop hardwired uh, pattern changes on one, one dominant side. And then one hip is like really mobile and, and the other yeah. one's tight, you know, our, our tennis, tennis to some degree is not quite as significant. I know you, that's what you played, right? I played soccer and tennis, soccer yeah. and tennis. Yeah. And, but I think you're hitting the ball both directions and, um, yeah. with, with baseball, I mean, you literally specialize unless you're a switch hitter, which a lot of people, um, you know, are not, but the mixture of those two for you probably was really helpful. Soccer, and yeah, so, so, I mean, that's how I switched to tennis. Um, mm. until I, I didn't start playing tennis. I was a junior in high school. I played oh, baseball. Okay. I, I wrestled, played baseball, soccer, did a little bit of basketball um, straight through until, you know, I realized I was going to play soccer in college for sure. And then, you know, baseball was not helping me play soccer better. Right. Yeah. So I made that really hard decision. I still think like, like, like crushed my father. I came out, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go uh, play base, uh, you know, stop playing baseball and play tennis. And I, you can yeah. just see him like, what? <laughs> you, want play, you want to play what sport? <laughs> like, yeah. And then, you know, tennis was the best thing ever. I picked it up really fast. It helped my footwork. It helped my eye-hand coordination. Totally. It was, it was fantastic. And, you know, I ended up playing tennis in college too, which I would not have played baseball in college. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I played two sports in college. And even though I'd only been playing the one for two years, it was very easy to pick up as an athlete, right? I just sure. didn't have, you know, I didn't have the, the time on the court like some of the better players had. 
But as far as athletics go, once you learn how to move, you know, you yeah. can pick up sports really easy. We probably so. had more of a desire to play the game too. I mean, how many youth athletes do we see that are just like totally burned out? I, I saw a kid this morning. He was a, 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 like a national level cyclist. He was going to go cycle over in, uh, in Europe. His, his, uh, his sister was over there in Italy who was a pro cyclist. And he totally one day was just like done. He, and I saw him today because he's gotten into running and he's a terrible runner and he has shin splints. And, uh, and I'm like, dude, you know, when's the last time you got on a bike? And he's like, I haven't gotten, I've not been on a bike in a year and a half. And wow. before that he rode almost every single day, but he, he was so burnt out on the, uh, on the sport that he didn't want to do it anymore. You know? And right. I think that for you, like later in your uh, career, switching to a sport that you're just fascinated with learning more about, you know, like that probably was just as helpful as, as the athletic development from soccer. Absolutely. You know, and now, you know, there's so much push to specialize anymore, you know, right. with kids. And, you know, the three-sport athlete, like, is, a, is like a unicorn now, right? I know. But when we were growing up, me and everybody played three sports, you know? Yeah. Because you had to, right? It was more you know, fun we, that way. Like, we were, right. I, I looked for it. I mean, you kind of got tired of football just in time to play basketball. And then you kind right. of got tired of basketball. And then baseball season rolled around. And then maybe right. you're swimming over the summer. You know, you were doing right. something else. But uh, I agree with you. There's a lot of that. I think it's uh, – there's a lot – that is a – we don't have time to unravel that, that boy, bad boy today because there's, there's, a, there's a lot there. And, and I think for a lot of it is parents associate that they need to do this so that, you know, little Timmy can go to the next level. And what we really see is a lot of youth athletes burn out, you know, around high school because they've just been doing the same thing over and over again. And, and after a while, they're like, man, that looks fun over there. Like, right. I kind of want to go do that. And that's, the, that should be fun. Right. And I think right. specialization, if it's going to happen, high school is really the, the time for that to occur if, if they're going to specialize, you know, fully at all. But I mean, seeing kids eight years old and they're like, dude, I'm a soccer specialist. I'm like, you're eight, bro. You're eight. Go you play. You know what you're going to look like for God's sakes. Like, right. How can you specialize? Right. Yeah. That's, that's so right. I mean, we train a lot of like high level rock climbers too, that are kids. Oh, wow. Cool. You know, so we got some like, you know, kids that are age 12 to 16 and, and all they do is rock climb. Yeah. You know, which is super cool. They're super strong. You know, you talk about a strong back, posterior chain, like these kids are really strong. But then if you ask them to like skip or like, you know, lateral shuffle, like that can't happen. (laughs) You're like fall over. (laughs) You go to this like extremely high level youth athlete and skipping's hard. So like, what did we train when we work with them? We, we train a lot of unilateral work and, you know, patterns like that, skipping, crawling, things that you'd think they could do because they do it on the wall. You put them on the floor with nothing to grab onto and it's, you know, they collapse. They can't crawl. Like, but that's what they do, right? They crawl yeah. on the wall and they can't crawl on the floor. So it's, it's crazy to see some of that stuff. That's a good point. No, yeah. it's a, I, the youth athlete stuff is fascinating, but I, I, we, we should, we, maybe we need to jump on a podcast and talk no, about no, that. Uh, yeah. Another topic here. I want to end with this, man. Um, before we let you kind of shout out your business, give everybody an idea where they can find out more about you. Um, what's your, what's your go-to spot in the Kirkwood area to grab something to eat, man? Where do you like to go? Um, so I eat most often at the Kirkyard pub. If you, uh, we actually yeah. have a menu item up there as well. It's called really? Smoke's Protein Plate. Yeah, it's basically um, – so I used to go in there and want to build my own plate, you know, and I, and I could do that because we trained the owner. So he kind of let me do that, and he's like, oh, I think some other people might like this. So you can pick any proteins they have, any sides you want, and create your own plate. Oh. So, you know, my go-to plate there is I get grilled chicken, I get a little four-ounce steak, and I'll get a brat, and I'll throw like a wedge and some broccoli on it or something. You know, like that's, that's sort of my go-to plate. So I get plenty of protein after a workout. I guess something I love, a wedge, right? Like a wedge is fantastic. And then yeah. a little broccoli to make sure I'm getting a, you know, a good slice of healthy greens in there. So That's amazing. Yeah. You have your own plate. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's on the menu. Logo's on there. And we've got, you know, we, we, we go up there quite a lot. So Next time I'm there, 
next time. We're gonna get you, that's, that's a serious meat plate, dude. I, I like your style. Um, what's your favorite act, outdoor activity in the area? What do you like to do when it's nice outside? Um, you know, I really like to hike. We go out to Stone Mountain quite a bit and, sure. and hike the mountain. The kids love it. Um, How old are your girls? Uh, six and three. And so the six-year-old lately, she, she's been learning to ride a bike and getting pretty good. So we've oh, been yeah. spending a lot of time outside riding the bike. And that's, nice. you know, I really just, I just want to be outside with them whenever I, I have free time, right? Yeah. Um, and if it's hiking, great. If it's, you know, going to the outdoor pool with the Y, great. Whatever it is, I just, I just would rather be outside. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's, a, what's a book that, you know, you've read recently that you think uh, other people would benefit from? So the book I've, I've enjoyed the most lately is called Destination Unstoppable uh, by Maureen Monty. It's, um, it's basically a, a dive into strength finders, the Clifton strength test. Yep. And um, so recently I, I bought a franchise that we're adding into our business called Sportsight. And uh, it was founded primarily to work with athletes on their eye-hand coordination, reaction time, initiation speed, and kind of give them that, that little bit of an edge. Um, but we're going to be using it with general population and athletes here. Um, so cool. I'm really excited about that. And the Strength Finders is a way that we can better serve the people we interact with. So I've had my staff take the test. Yep. Um, wife's going to be taking it as well. Uh, so we can better, better communicate with each other. It just gives you your, your top 34 strengths and what you're good at. So, um, you know, like for me, my top strength is being restorative. So it's looking at problems, finding, you know, unique ways to solve it, but oftentimes mm. there's simple ways of solving it. Um, so my clients can look to me if they're having some issues, we can talk it out. And ideally I can provide them with some advice. It's worthwhile. Um, my uh, general manager is a relator, uh, which means she's really good at building the relationships that, that, that we need in the gym. Good fit so, for that. You know, and that's my number two. So the two of us, you know, we have one thing in common out of, out of all the other strengths. Um, so the book huh. kind of breaks down how this is used in the corporate, um, in the corporate space and also with athletes um, yeah. and teams and getting them to, to find purpose. So I found that really fascinating uh, so much so that, you know, we're taking the deep dive in uh, smugs now and offering that as part of our initial assessment cool. uh, as a way to better understand what motivates individuals. So yeah. serve them better and, and get them to their goals, you know, more efficiently and with less headache. Yeah, that's great. If people want to work with you, where can they find out more? Uh, our website, smugsfitness.com. You can find us uh, on Instagram at smugsfitness. You can find us on Facebook. We have a Smug, Smugs Fitness general page and then we have an insiders club so if uh, once you become a member you can get on there and uh, there's recipe shares there's uh, videos for at-home workouts that kind of stuff that you could find but that's that's once you've uh, kind of joined our crew and become a member with us um, cool yeah well guys i can't speak highly enough of sam and his entire staff is, is awesome it's not 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 just him so anybody there is, is great we, we really enjoyed getting a chance to uh work with them I, i've been over there this, uh, this is the second podcast we've been on you were on one of the last episodes of the doc and jock right. podcast in person and this is exactly where you're sitting i, right. I believe pretty, uh, pretty close we rearranged a little bit since yeah uh, maybe maybe that's what it was uh, but close. uh so no wealth of knowledge really high level uh unicorn of a trainer for the area so i appreciate you jumping on the, the podcast with us and 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 uh sharing your story man it's super cool to learn more about what you guys are doing yeah i appreciate the time Danny. it was great thanks absolutely guys as always thanks for listening we'll catch you next time Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.